you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. A big thanks to you, Chicago, for coming out and filling up the place for us. It makes me feel proud. Um, you know, not only is this the place where uh, Dennis and Michael and Phil did all their business. And I know there's been plenty of good shows. I know that Pete Townsend and The Who have played here. But the real reason I want it to be special tonight is that that my grandma's here. And uh, she's a captain of sorts, so this one, uh, I think she likes this one. Thanks again for coming on. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast today we are covering the show out of chicago 2003 a great era a great city there's lots of great things that happen at this show and also we have a great person that requested it look nothing's bad about a big city show at all we try to get to at least one show per big city per year if we can you know philadelphia boston we did most of the Seattle stuff last year, but we try to get into them a little bit. And there's a lot of Chicago that we actually haven't done yet because we took a little while on the Wrigley series a couple of years ago. So that kind of took that chunk out, but there's a lot more to do. And I think this one's a pretty important one to get to in it. So let's just get into it now. Randy Sobel over here, John Fryer over there. Hello, hello. This is kind of a little sneak peek into a year that you might be hearing a lot from in 2023. Yeah, I would I would say that. No, no spoilers or anything like that, but obviously you can kind of do the math and, and figure that out. But we've talked so many times about how important this year is and sure. how this tour kind of set the tone 
for everything that was to come. And I had a couple of things when listening to this that I wrote down that I was just like, you know what? That's planting the seeds for what we know of this to be now. Like, whether it was crowd material, whether it was just little things that they did in songs. Like, you'll hear a lot in this episode of just changed up lyrics. Like, Ed just thinking of something on the fly and just changing the lyrics. Almost every song has that. Either he's dedicated to this person or goes off and says something about Bush or the war or something like that. Just about every song has something like that. And it feels like that sort of came to play in 2003. And now it's always everywhere whenever we hear it now and and in the past 10 years or so. Yeah, there was an episode we did a few weeks ago where I remember there was a lot of that as well. But this one, I think, predates that one, if I'm not mistaken. So Yeah, um, predates most. Yeah, anytime you get a adopted hometown show, whether it's, you know, San Diego or Chicago or any of those kind of places, Ed's going to be in a good mood. And we get to talk about grandmas in this episode. I do. Yes, that should be a lot of fun. Hey, did you know this? And I think you probably do because I think we've talked about this before. What was the last time Chicago had an arena show? Oh, 2009, probably, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. I was actually in the building That's for right. that. That was my yeah. second show. And again, that's one of their biggest cities. And and when Wrigley comes along, it's so enticing that you have to take up that opportunity. And obviously having it five times meant that all in 2013, 2016, 2018, whatever it was, that they just kind of ignored the arenas. And unlike the other cities where, you know, they'll they'll hit every single one on the road. They, They seem to, at this point, want to make something massive out of Chicago shows. But I think I think that's still something that's missing within their catalog and everything like that. Because you get a lot of these shows, you know, from 98 to 2000, and a lot of people have written in this week to share their memories from that. And I'll get to that in a little while. But yeah, a lot of those shows have staying power and they're very memorable. It just seems like it's a missed opportunity to not do one or two. Well, not that the Wrigley shows weren't memorable. I mean, let's not let's not bury the lead here. I mean, once they who said they weren't. Once you get upgraded to the ballpark, it's hard to go back. I mean, once you've done that, it's hard to go back to an arena and be like, once they've experienced that kind of epic nature of yes, those Wrigley shows, then I, I can see why they would want to keep that up. And I think you know, who knows? You know, we we talk about it all the time. You know, what would have happened on that second leg in twenty twenty? if something was planned, but we'll see what happens next year. But I guess, you know, a lot of the people from Chicago and trying to to get some answers here out of some people on Twitter and Facebook and stuff, Wisconsin and Alpine Valley and and Milwaukee, they kind of, Chicago people kind of claim that as their own. If Milwaukee is something that, or Moline, you can even say that's in the state, that that's sort of their door prize or something like that, instead of going to a Chicago show, then at least they're in the area, which they always seem to be anyway. So you're not going to have a lack of Chicago fans wherever you go. Yeah, they're not starved for Pearl Jam. They've been very lucky over the years. I am going to share a little bit of the responses that we had on Twitter from some friends, some from some people that we've never heard of before. All of it good. This is from Steve, good friend Steve Bennett. Hard to imagine at the United Center in 2009. That's the show that we just talked about. That was the last time they played in an arena in Chicago. Easily the top 5% of the 2,473 songs I've heard performed. 
That's a lot of songs. Top 5%. That's, that's, that's up there. Gabe says, every single moment out of the United Center from the June 29th show in 1998, especially Better Man Save It For Later, flawless version. Curtis says, on May 17th, 2006, the reverse Mamasan with the explanation of the alive curse being broken. We've talked about that a lot. From Tom Gregory in 2000, Black in the Parting Ways is a great main set ender. This one's from Matt Chu, not Matthew, but Matt Chu. Ed had to stop during Soon Forget, and I believe that he's talking about maybe 2000. Ed had to stop Soon Forget because the rich folks sitting up front can't keep time and clapping along. This one's pretty good. This is another from 2000. So obviously following up on the Ice Bowl that happened that year, Ed coming out with a bug of tea the night after the Ice Bowl, we were all still thawing 24 hours later. Yeah, that would be a show that everybody, if you go to one, you're probably going down to the other. And much more warm experience being in uh, Allstate Center or United Center or whatever it was. And that show was incredible. Still wishing Parting Ways was around live more like that night. So a lot of good responses here. A lot of good responses. I also think that they did Needle in the Damage Done in 2009, dedicated to Michael Jackson, who had passed away very shortly before that. So, yeah, a lot of really good answers here. Thank you to everybody for pitching in on that. Who would have thought that Pearl Jam would have a good history in Chicago? Yeah, I don't, I, it's, it's 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 like this nothing town, right? There's nothing to do there, right? None, none of the band members are from there or anything like that. That's, yep. that's, that's, that's not part real, of the story. Real underdog story. Exactly. All right. Well, we got to talk to one of our good friends and somebody that's contributed to Patreon in so many different ways, not just you know, the financial contributions, but he's always up for whenever we need material and content for the website. And he's written a bunch of concertpedia entries as well. And he's also been on this podcast a couple of times. If you remember, we did the deprogrammed championship edition a couple of years ago. He was part of that and the trashy six that still live on in infamy. This is his episode. This is his pick. And I preface this by saying he is currently 21 got into the band in his freshman year of high school and what we get to hear from his little story that I'm going to play right now is that he actually got to listen to Pearl Jam while he was doing swim meets so let's check out that story and then we'll come back and we'll do the show I'm entering high school so I'm developing my own music taste I'm also in that perfect age group we talk about Pearl Jam fans at the time in which the band starts and the band blows up and it's very, very much that age group. So I really kind of, I guess, emulated that just by circumstance. I really discovered Pearl Jam during the end of my freshman and a sophomore year, my first year swimming varsity for my high school swim team. At this time, the Cubs have just won the World Series. Pearl Jam is getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And through that, and because of my love of rock music, I kind of used the induction classes as a way to get introduced to bands. And as a result, that's when I heard 10 for the very, very first time. And that was a pivotal moment and definitely opened up a world for me, but it didn't quite do it to the level that brings me to the Pearl Jam fan I am today. What really does that is only a few months later, I am deep deep in the heart of the swim season and coming home late at night after swim practice with a lot of homework in front of me and trying to get through that. And 
I've just discovered this new band Pearl Jam and the entire concept of an official bootleg series was just this beautiful thing that I did not know was possible. And, you know, I immediately began wishing that every single one of my favorite bands did their live shows that way. So I would come home from swim practice every day. At the time, there was some of the 2003 shows, some of the 2006 shows, a interesting collection of bootlegs that were on Apple Music at the time. Specifically, 03 um, was especially foundational. Every night, I would come home, and before I'd sit down and do my homework, I would just take a huge swipe on the list of live albums on Apple Music for Pearl Jam, which would include all the bootlegs, and wherever my finger would land, that would be the show for the night. And June 18th, 2003 in Chicago was the first show for me. That really opened me up to what Pearl Jam, at least in my mind, truly is in their fullest sense, and that live experience, which obviously is the basis of what you guys do here. So that was really it. That, that was really where it all started. What were some of the songs early on that really grabbed you and made you want to dig deeper? Part of the reason why I gravitated towards that Chicago show is because of the songs that I was getting into at the time, which is that I think the real kind of what that show is, at least in terms of the set and still when I go back and listen to it, is there are some shows that the fact that they played a certain song is a highlight or that's the moment. But then there's other shows in which there's just big time performances of big time songs, which was exactly what I needed at that time of fandom. So early on, answer your question, I mean, I was really gravitating towards a lot of, I wouldn't necessarily say the hits, but a lot of the bigger songs, you know, release wasn't still as my personal favorite song. Obviously, like I said, like Alive was probably the first Pearl Jam song I heard. I mean, that that seems pretty straightforward, but for everybody, it's a different experience. And for me, it just happened to end up that way. So it really was a lot of the bigger songs. And it went down from there. Did you listen to all the studio albums before getting to listen to live stuff or were you just because you ran down your finger and picked one was that was that it it was both at the same time the studio albums did at least somewhat come first i think you know your first three especially i definitely remember introducing myself to 10 versus in vitology actually a notable funny part about that is i think it has a role in vitology being my favorite album is that i (laughs) mistakenly listened to it second Purely because I thought it was a second album. Just a total mistake on my part, which is kind of crazy because talking to fans who've lived through that and kind of having a perspective on the band's history, it's kind of funny that it was all just so new to me. But yeah, I think it went it went 10 Vitalogy verses, but then otherwise chronological. And I think those three albums were definitely first. And then after that, it was kind of chronologically going through the rest of the albums, but then at the same time, just totally immersing myself in the bootlegs in in a much more random fashion so it was it was a little bit of a mix but definitely the the studio albums at least the big early ones were first so tell us a little bit more about chicago obviously i think you said the big songs and the big songs are are exactly that in a place like that the big songs feel massive but now you're kind of getting to see songs almost in their pure form in a way and a lot of those songs that they played that night were like fandom kind of defining songs like a present tense or a love boat captain and stuff like that so you know all the hits but then after a while you keep kind of listening back and forth a little bit but how are those other songs and and what are those kind of other moments from this show that really really stood out to you 
again, it's the big time songs on the big time stage. And I, I like how you clarified, like big in the sense that really, really good performances, but also and very definitive performances, but very definitive in a live sense. A lot of what these songs are live is kind of emulated on this bootleg and in this show. For some, it's pretty simple, like just release as an opener is just extremely crisp and flawless. And in my mind, what release should be. I mean, of course, in my mind, it's what release should be because it's really the foundational bootleg for me. But truly, when I go back and listen to it with the perspective I now have, I still believe it holds up to that standard. The first song that comes to mind with this bootleg, I cannot get past the performance of Better Man from this show. I will always say that the crowd intro does everything that MSG 2010 did and more. Heavily, heavily underappreciated. The way that the crowd is truly on top of every word. MSG 2010 is famous for just the way that it's just such an overwhelming, drowning crowd presence. But with this one, everybody's just so locked in. And it's in, in one recording and in one song, it's such a good encapsulation of what the Pearl Jam fan base is and, you know, the community that I would soon meet, actually. So that performance immediately comes to mind. You know, just getting familiar with Tags on Daughter with, a, with my own Toon Hands tag. Even the little details, like the fact that this is one of the ARC shows and ARC is not included on the bootleg. That's a way that I became familiar with Roskilde. I mean, Light Years is a big one. Present Tense, as you said, is massive. And that one has only become more important for me over time. Uh, down. From the perspective of other big fans like me, and especially getting into my later perspective on shows and like my favorite performances, these answers kind of sound a little boring, but that's exactly why they are what they are, was because this was the absolute beginning for me. And so those bigger songs just did all the heavy lifting early on before I really started to dive into it later. Once again, thank you, Joey. Good, sir. That was great stuff, great material, and it was a great storyteller. So that's going to be a part of our fan profile episodes that we do. That's over on Patreon, but I put them up on Patreon free. We don't make it for patrons only in case, you know, somebody's family member or something wants to listen or a friend wants to listen. So anybody that is not a patron at this current time can go on the site and listen to that anytime they'd like. And I think what was interesting at the end there, and just for everybody that's kind of wondering, oh, a young Pearl Jam fan must be, you know, a diamond in the rough. Well, it's funny because we we talked at the end of the episode, it seems like there are a lot more of the Gen Z that care about the history of these things than you'd think. And it seems like he's not the only one within his circle of friends that is into Pearl Jam or at least 90s music. Yeah, it's good to see. I mean, Joey is one of a few. You know, we get emails and we've talked to people. We've, we've seen some some younger fans here and there. So, yeah, that's great. You know, keeping it going for the next generation. Well, as he mentioned there, one of his favorite songs, maybe his all-time favorite song, I should say, is going to open up this show. And it's going to be a good one because it's got some history in Chicago. We'll get into that after we get into this. See you. 
for anybody that knows the history of Ed and the connection with Chicago, he's obviously born in Evanston and spent a lot of his life there. And we all know the story about him and his father and the song obviously connects with him, but Chicago too, because grew up there and born and raised. Release has been played a total of nine times in Chicago with eight of those nine times being opened up with. I think the only time they didn't open up with it was the Dr. John tribute. And I think it's the most obvious pick. I think that every time he does it, it seems like the emotion just starts pouring out of him because everything seems to be coming back, whether it's just memories of living there or whether it's thoughts of his dad you don't get much more of a powerful release than you do this. This was something else. And it's all, you can tell he's got some nervous energy here. You can tell that he's just ready to belt it and let it all out. And then once you hear, this is this is really important in this, once you hear him say the oh dear dad line, the crowd goes berserk during that moment. They all just lose it. forefront in 2003. I've only played seven times out of 58 shows in the U.S. and uh, on the North American tour, which is not a lot, but like we talk about, sometimes they do save it for big occasions. The fact that they're opening with it here lets you know that they think this show is going to be special. I'm with you. I think this is a nearly perfect version of release. I mean, you can tell that Ed is feeling right from the beginning. I love when Mike will just lean back, throw his head up in the air, and just really feel it he's doing that here just letting everything just wash over him absolutely love this version it soars like release does when it's very very good i don't know if you caught this i think my favorite part about this and the whole song is really my favorite part but when he's finished singing there's an audible ah like just kind of letting it all out like i got that out there i got that out there that was within me probably for the last 24 or 48 hours whatever it was and now it's gone now it's within the universe. Now we can kind of loosen up and get into the next couple songs. And I think that really, that all sets the tone. And yeah, you, you can't ask for a more perfect crowd to open a show with this. This was fantastic. Probably coming back later. So the next three in a row, boy, the band is feeling this really early on. Hail, hail, save you and crop duster. What from here? I mean, you can kind of close your eyes and point your finger to one, but what from here stood out to you? Hail, hail's obviously very good and, and release into hail, hail. And you can't ask for anything more to open up a Pearl Jam show. 
But for me, it's actually, I thought Crop Duster was kind of the highlight of this sort of early section here. I, I thought think the I'm with you of, on that. The, the ending of Crop Duster, I thought, was just fantastic. I mean, obviously, it's a function of the times from the most recent album. That's when you want to get it. But it really felt like they did something special with the ending there. Like, yeah, keep this going. You know, if they had kept playing this throughout the years, you know, it could have turned into something really cool. give the props to crop duster too it's not one that i usually think of too much if i'm not thinking about 2003 and you said it like it's the era for it it's it's new and fresh to them it's also fresh to the crowd and it's it's an a-side so you know most people listening to the record they're they're right on it but as time goes on less people listen to riot act and it kind of becomes sort of an album of the past i still love it i think that's probably why crop duster doesn't get the play that it does anymore because i think a lot of the crowd had just kind of forgotten it so if they played it in like 2014 which i believe was the last time they had played it you just don't get that same reaction to it anymore it'd be like playing like an infallible or let the records play in 2022 i don't know if those would attach and i know you like infallible but do. i don't know if those attach to the the crowd as well because not a lot of people are still consistent on lightning bolt to this day but great version of crop duster yeah the ending and and just the way that the band is jumping around on this and they seem like they're enjoying themselves mike and jeff have a night of it because they are just jamming together basically on every song and yeah it's just it just it keeps rolling it's got a lot of high energy and and i don't know if i've seen versions of crop duster before where i picked up on that that it just drove it just fed off the energy of the last song because when you see hail hail save you crop duster you kind of think that okay the 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 payoff of hail hail and save you would be like corduroy or something like that but no uh, crop duster does its job here it doesn't really matter how the song is introduced it doesn't matter if it gets a big pop beforehand because crop duster is never really going to be that song but it definitely had a place here and it definitely fit within the momentum of the set it was very very good have to mention too on save you we do get oh. a little bit of the the cuff me yeah which mm-hmm. we should mention like ed's grandmother is at this show on the side stage you don't get to see her until the very very end she's over by the soundboard i think we really needed like a grandma reaction cam for this like i wish somebody had had a camera on her for the entire show so we could see her reactions to these songs as they were coming up but it's funny because i'm thinking like okay cuff me like grandma's in the house don't get too explicit for grandma but then later on there's plenty more stuff where that doesn't apply 
Do you think she was watching Letterman that night? Was that why he was doing it then? I, Eight months prior? Yeah. 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 Uh, but that was the exact same thing that I was thinking. The only thing that would have been holding him back, because he obviously did it every single night on that tour, was, I guess, was just his grandmother. So, hey, it's very early on, and as time goes on... still awake at this point. Maybe she's going to fall asleep later, and then it'll get a little crazier. Well, Ed's sick at this show. Ed's kind of feeling a little bit of a head cold, so maybe he kind of forgot midway through a song that, oh, yeah, I'm not supposed (laughs) to say that. But I want to share something on on Save You that I really loved, and that's kind of the stage lighting setup. And you saw that how all the spotlights were open on the stage, that it was it was a bright stage and nobody had an official spotlight on them. But once Stone gets his solo, which was absolutely perfect in this, there's the big old spotlight right on him. And I don't remember a time where Stone got this kind of spotlight that's outside to do the evolution. Have you? It's not something I usually like pay a lot of attention to. But yeah, it could have been just like a 2003 thing that we just like hadn't noticed before, not paying attention to. But yeah, that's a good call. I mean, that shows that like they're paying attention and they're trying to give everyone their due. And like they knew that that was going to be a, a good stone moment. So yeah, that's cool. I like that. All right. Ed says good evening. And then he has to cough and blow his nose. And he does it a couple of times. If you, if you catch it, like right after a song, he'll kind of off, off mic and go, <laughs> Oh, yeah, he's, he's, got the, he's got the box of Kleenex right there. Mm-hmm. And he says, this feels united. Big thanks to Chicago for filling up the place. Not only this is the place that Dennis and Michael and Phil did their business, but Pete and the Who have been here. I want it to be special tonight because my grandma's here. And says that she is a captain of sorts, so I think she's going to like this one. It's going to get you into a very just all three of these songs have like an emotional grip on you, you know, with love boat captain being the song that was written about the Roskill tragedy and the people that passed on that. And then I am mine, which was also kind of taken out of that situation right when the 2000 tour started in us, he wrote that and then given a fly has all the emotional weight on it as well. These versions just, it keeps building into bigger and bigger cathartic moments. And this was, this was powerful. All three of these songs together were pretty powerful. I think that Love Boat Captain was probably the highlight for me, but everything on this just had powerful, soaring aspect to it. When you're there, you feel like it hits you, and the moment almost drives you into like a different vessel almost. It's tough to explain unless you're there and you're feeling it at that moment, but I think that these three personify that. Yeah, it's, it's a nice little run of Riot Act songs, too, like four in a row here that keep getting better and better, I think. You know, you talked about there's going to be a lot of lyric changes here. You get one in Love Boat Captain where he says, you know, almost three years ago today. So, you know, they've got that on their mind. Obviously, you know, you're in kind of getting into late June here. So Roskilde is, is going to be rearing its head again in their mind. So that was nice to hear that they're kind of thinking about that. And I think it added something to these performances, definitely. I Am Mine, again, really soars. If you like that stuff, we can go on back to release to open up. There's a lot of good stuff there. So really good section. And like, it's kind of unique. Like we've done so many shows lately where we haven't really focused on the Riot Act as a record. And you're getting a lot of Riot Act here. We're going to get a lot of no code and binaural. So this is a different kind of set than we're used to talking about. It was cool. 
Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with why and and my intake of the show was always that if you turn PJ radio on on any random day, it's very likely that you will get to listen to this show. And I you know, I probably before listening to it this week, I I, I may have just heard the whole thing in just bunches and and pieces and parts, but you know, putting it all together, those are kind of the reasons why it feels like this is one they put in circulation pretty often. Everything feels motivated. Momentum is just carrying from one to the next. And yeah, these three songs in a row are just the powerful moments that you want from Pearl Jam shows. Those are three heavy hitters in a row. You don't usually get that. Even Flow and 2003 is usually the Mike year to me. I always say that 2003 is Mike's year with Even Flow. His best solos come out of this. So Red Rover, Red Rover. And look, the tricks are out. Like, there's not much more to say that's not just listen and be amazed by this. It's even flow. You know what you're getting out of it. You're getting the tricks, and then you're getting a little bit of a blues-centric ending to it. There's some flourishes in and out. Like, this sounds great. And I always say from 2003, if you have a kid that's playing guitar, that wants to learn guitar, that, you know, needs a guitar hero, so to speak, to look up to, Show them 2003 versions of Evenflow, and they will be hooked. My favorite Evenflow solos always start with that kind of one-note wail that yeah. this one starts with. I think that's a perfect way to, to get into it. And just It really gets the crowd going and lets that note hang for a long time. Yeah, I like that a lot. says McCready he's, he's not from Chicago but I imagine he's Irish but the band and crew lost someone who's really close to us so we're gonna play a song for him and and really it's two songs in a row so the the package here is off he goes and then light years and you can tell like the first eight were just blistering and you can tell here that the set needed a cool down but it felt like he still kept locked in because it was a pretty emotional cool down here you get off he goes that I think the the emphasis here was more on the sullen and kind of lost a friend sort of moment. And then you get into light years. And I think light years is really the one where you get to feel like all that power and all of that, all those thoughts of, of, you know, missing a friend is coming out and really exposing itself. And I, I thought both were fantastic, of course, but that's the story here is, is, and I don't know who the friend is and I didn't care to do the research on it. Cause I'm sure it's not somebody that you can look up, but yeah, anytime that they're playing for somebody that's no longer there, you know, that they're going to bring all of that into it. This is my absolute favorite part of the show. These two songs right here. I thought off he goes was note. Perfect. 
just the way that you want to get it. This is one of my favorite versions of Off He Goes I've heard in a really, really long time. And then Light Years coming off of that just sounds amazing. I mean, you talk about Pink Pop 2000 being the best Light Years that I've ever heard. This one's right there with that two perfect performances right here. I think this is the highlight of the show for me. And how about that little improv at the end of Light Years too? That little oh, lyric change. Amazing. Amazing. We're go- we're all gonna miss you, and yeah, that that was really cool. I don't think I've ever heard him do that out of Light Years before that I can remember at this point. Not to this effect, I think there will be some occasionally, but it's usually just like maybe one line or just a little phrase. But this one felt like it had a little bit more kind of like sits like some weight behind it and some more meaning behind it. So the wave is is continuing to build up, continuing to build up, and the next two that are going to come are kind of the songs that that get it to crash a little bit. And Green Disease, as we had said with all the lyric changes, I would say half of them probably come within the song. And the first little change is within the beginning, right when the song starts, he does the G-R-E-E-D. And again, another thing that I might have heard like once or twice, but obviously it's not a significant part of the song that is usually held for for later. So when you hear that, you're like, okay, all right, what is he feeling with this? And he was definitely feeling sort of a way. Was he saying, and I... (laughs) I don't have the full lyrics up, but it sounded like he was saying his band's name is Creed. Did you catch that? Is it, yeah, they, they, he do, he was doing that a couple of times because, you know, Creed was very popular in 2003. So there were a few times where he would change to C-R-E-D. Yeah. He kind of laughs to himself. So, yeah. like, I wasn't yeah. sure if he's like, at, at first, it was like, did I not hear, like, a credence out of that or something? But no, it's kind of making fun of oh yeah he's talking some shit yeah to himself not so subtle the other line change in this is feel it with your heart and not your dick and obviously that's not referring to what you would uh, imagine it's referring to it's referring to Janie that's easy Uh, I know grandma didn't like that one eh probably not but hey referring to Janie that was for Dick Cheney. That wasn't for anything else. And she'd be like, oh, okay. You, you, you remember way back when, when Dick was a pretty common name and nobody really made fun of it? That happened. So in the, Yeah, in like the 50s. And the right. And people were literally named Richard Johnson. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Another Ripper version here. I think that grievance kind of follows up. And, and again, same momentum, same weight that's carried there. And another lyric change for grievance, champagne tax cuts for everyone. This section is definitely the political part of the show. I like to taste every Chicago and I, sh- I see, yeah, this is a good little bit here. Grievance, obviously very relevant in 2003. One of the ones that kind of carried over from the Bonneroll tour that had still a little bit of bite behind it. So again, the back half of this main set is just, I mean, we look at it now and you're like, oh man, deep cut, deep cut, deep cut but this is a great run again that they're on here. I mean, 
this main set is very unique and not something you would get after this year. Yeah, no, this is this is front to back really, really good. There's maybe one that comes in the next couple songs. And I'm like, all right, well, if it didn't have that, then it would be near flawless. But we're going to get into present tense now, which makes it near flawless. And just like release, this has had its own little history in Chicago as well. Although back then, I don't think we knew it. It was developing, but I, I don't think that the story was really there yet. The story really gets to start in 2006 where he makes the dedication to the Bulls teams. Then obviously what we know from a couple of years ago with The Last Dance, all being connected with Chicago. But look, this is like they knew something. It was like they were clairvoyant about this or something because they they had this locked in and present tense had just come back a couple months before that. This was like the eighth time that that had been played on tour, so they're not doing it a lot, and it's also still pretty fresh to them. But it seems like they had found a newfound love for it, and, you know, there's a perfect accelerated build onto the bridge in this where just everything feels like it's, it's starting to build, it's starting to get good, it's starting to drive, and the band is just on top of it and it feels like a big party you got mike that's that's doing his thing on the side and everybody else is huddling around matt this is an inspired version of present tense 100 percent spend your time alone of this song in Chicago, you know, he definitely knew that, you know, so I don't think it was a surprise that this song pops up here. The show is like a greatest hits of Chicago, you know, on the, on the Riot Act tour, so it's not going to be the last time probably we're going to talk about one of those songs, but yeah, very good version. I mean, it almost feels overshadowed being kind of stuck here near the end. This is like where you would get, you know, a Leatherman or something weird like that, but to get a heavy song like this, kind of leading up to the end of the main set is very unique. 
I still think the crowd that's probably there would consider this rare because, you know, No Code at this time, they played a couple of No Coded songs at the show, yeah, but yeah. it's not. It's kind of like how Binaural is now. It, it just didn't come around that much back then unless it was Hell Hell or Lucan or something. But, you know, getting a present tense feels like you got something special. The way that it's evolved now, like, this is one that you can expect every three or four shows, but back then, this felt like any crowd that got it was in for something special, and this night they were. Now, how about this? This is something that's predominantly 2003 as well. We get Daughter, and then we're going to get a terrific Daughter tag here as well. All right, this is notable, and it's notable, I think, mostly because we know what the payoff for this tag is when it would come to the garden a couple weeks later we know that whole thing we know about ben harper it's one of the most celebrated moments in their history and here is just brought in as a tag and it's them doing it it's them getting the crowd into it he even says like clap for grandma but sing for me and the crowd is terrific on the shades go down there just back and forth and really i didn't hear a lot of like great crowd participation moments in this before daughter there wasn't like anything where the band was able to kind of go like okay you guys take it a little uneven flow maybe but mm-hmm. this this felt like the first big and trust me there's going to be more the first big crowd moment of the show yeah, you know, there'd been a lot of a riot act and a lot of binaural, and those songs really, like, aren't tailored for that. You know, we'd look at, like, yeah, you had you had Release, you had Even Flow, and now you have Daughter, and that's pretty much it. But yeah, I agree. I love this tag, whether it's on Wishlist or Daughter or whenever it pops up. The way, you know, and he actually, you know, sometimes he, you know, he tries to do a thing where he's gonna, he's like, I'm gonna give you a part, you're gonna repeat it, then I'm gonna do my thing. And like sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But this one worked really well. The crowd like latched onto it immediately and did a really good job. I'll give you a part. I'll tell you when it goes. Here it comes. moment because obviously i think that you know what what happens at the end is saying i hope you believe it and back then i think that 
you know, maybe, maybe the people that are in their 20s that are just kind of looking to find a path and they don't know what's going on in this world that's getting a little bit nuts with with everything that's that's political and on the Iraq war that's going on that I think that out of the green diseases and grievances, they needed a moment to have some inspiration. I think that that was it. I think everybody singing together brought that together. So it was a great moment, a very notable moment. Joey talked about it, one of his favorites. And you, you can't deny it. So, all right, going into a live before a live is going to be Bush Leaguer. I don't have that much on Bush Leaguer except for a couple of lyric changes, just the swinging for the fence, but he didn't get lucky. And then Mike's doing a couple of stomping around in a circle. That was a fun visual. Yeah, it just is, like stalking the stage like an animal. Yeah, it was on, like he was possessed. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you got the sense of this by watching, but it felt like. I don't know if it was because they had stopped the shtick on it, but it felt like they were just sort of, all right, well, let's kind of do it. Let's kind of like, it didn't feel like it had its character anymore. And they just kind of went through the motions almost like, almost like as this song kind of turned into a joke in a way. I didn't get that. It maybe felt like, I don't know if they were expecting like a negative reaction. Obviously, you know, Uniondale was a couple of months prior to this. So that's already happened. So maybe they were a bit tentative on it to be like, all right, we're going to play this, but we don't know how it's going to go. Maybe that was showing through a little bit, but I, I, you know, I was listening for anything and all I heard was clapping. So they got through it without incident. Yeah, no, I didn't. I I thought the crowd was was fine on it and everything yeah. like that. I just, I think at this point it's kind of like a you know a wink wink nudge nudge like uh, is anybody actually gonna laugh at us? And Chicago's mm. is a fairly liberal city, so they're gonna have the crowd behind them on that. But I think that probably you're right. It's probably in their heads at this point. Like, who can we piss off with this? And if we can, then just laugh it off. And, and, and we talked on. about we know that there were a couple of band members that was like I don't ever want to play this again. Yeah, yeah. And as we know of it today, it probably won't be. Yeah, yeah. It's been, I, since what 2007? It's been 15 years. Yeah, later. Yeah. So I I wouldn't expect this one no. anytime soon. I wouldn't expect the Riot Act full album show anytime soon either. But <laughs> hey, not. we can we can dream. But now we come full circle a little bit with Alive, the way that release started the show. Alive had to be involved. It is a little weird that we're not getting Alive as a closer, and I do have a point on this after this. But yeah, it's point out to the crowd just saying, you're all still alive. And I'm wondering when he's doing that, it's just like a way that he was able to kind of send a message to himself, maybe at a at a younger age, to say, this whole thing went down, you were a part of this whole thing, but you're still alive. If you're alive, then you can make it through it. You're going to have some hardships along the way, but that's the first step to kind of finding a resolve in it is to live. I don't know how deep that, that was coming out at that moment, but it kind of felt like he was, he was channeling something within his past to say, like, just a reminder to everybody, you're all still alive as well. I thought Alive had really good energy and especially, you know, coming off of something like Bush Leaguer, which 
could have gone sideways. I think Alive is here to be like, hey, remember the good old days, and like we're going to do the thing that you know in a main set that, like we said, doesn't have a lot of big crowd moments but there's there's going to be a lot coming up in the encores don't worry like we're getting to the crowd friendly portion of the show here you know we've talked about how ed was you know a little under the weather and blown his nose sometimes but you couldn't tell what sounded really good i kind of expected this to be a little weird but it wasn't it sounded great no yeah no problem with it at all i think that they put 2000 in the past and try to make the song and like i mentioned before like 2006 would be the breakout for a lot of these to be the songs that we know of today but 2003 is where you're able to kind of see the seedlings planted for this so yeah i feel what you're saying in there now how about some statistics are you ready for some uh, guessing games some stats here because this is this is not something we see very often it's a live interview mirror to close a set and i don't even think we've seen river mirror into a live very often either mm, yeah how many times does this happen alive into rearview mirror yes i'm gonna say three seven okay but everything aside from this version was either in 1993 or 1994 oh wow so this is an anomaly and i wonder if it's big chicago crowd it's a double closer essentially when do you ever get that it's like you know if you had porch then alive and i know that one of the shows this year did have a porch and alive because porch wasn't played in the main set like i don't think you get more grand i don't think you have a bigger stage than that and the song i mean just in itself is if alive doesn't take all that emotion and all that energy out of you then you're bottling some up for the rear view mirror and you're going on another roller coaster ride right after and and of course we we all know how that goes with rear view mirror and how intense it gets at the end and it didn't have that long of a bridge or anything like that but i think that the key to this was just getting the power once you're kind of driving towards the end and, and it just gets more powerful as, as it goes on it's very very good it's kind of a weird combination because alive is such open song especially you know post 2000 it's very wide open and inviting and extroverted and it begs for participation and everybody's into it it has really good energy and rearview mirror is very insulated and very tense and like kind of introverted and like has a very different feel like yeah it's kind of is a double closer but two very different kinds all right we're at the encore time to pause for station identification and talk about some things why not because there's always things to talk about but first let's thank a couple of new patrons that joined up this past week we are going to thank i'm gonna mess up your name because i just know i'm gonna mess up your name buck van bommel joined up on patreon i believe from germany so buck If I botched your name in any way, please send us a note and say that I botched it, and then I will send you a uh, a massive apology. But thank you for joining up on Patreon. Glad that you are aboard. And also as well, we get to say thank you to John, who is from Australia but used to live in New Zealand and is now living in Australia again, I believe is what he said. So okay. to John, thank you. Yeah, wherever thanks, you That's great. are living at this current moment some uh, little, little international flair to patreon this week it feels good yeah it's always good to get the diversity in there yeah we love it 
So before I guess talking about how you can donate and all that, I I, I want to take a second to get into sort of what we do at the end of the year. And at the end of every year since 2020, since 2020, we've been putting together a little bit of a Christmas party and it's just a little something to just be able to, you know, and, and at first it was because we all hadn't seen each other because of the pandemic, but now it's, it's a get together. All of us can see each other and exchange gifts and things like that, you know, invite a couple of performers to join us. And, and we all just kind of get to have conversations and talk about the year. And there's a lot of talk about this year. So people come by, they tell stories and maybe we'll have a special guest or two who who knows but we are doing the gift exchange if you're interested in that it is on our facebook we have a link or just send us an email or, or direct message or something like that and we will send you a link to it but the last time that you can join up and this is a good time to to take this to heart is that the next episode will be on the wednesday it's actually the deadline to join the gift exchange is on the 15th on tuesday the 15th so if you join by then then on the 15th or 16th we'll be able to match you up with somebody we'll send you their mailing address and their wish list and everything like that and everybody gets a nice little gift some people spoil you if you're lucky and yeah it's 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 a really nice time and even if you guys just don't have it in you to join the gift exchange this year totally understand but we would love to see you at the zoom party there's always a zoom party and i believe the zoom party this year is going to be on december 15th on a thursday so mark that in your calendars if you're interested please let us know and we'll make sure that we get you the right material in order to to get there so that's something exciting that's going on we also have some set list drafts that we're going back to if you remember back in two years ago or so where we did them consistently. We were doing them every single week. Well, now we've sort of flipped the tables. John, what are we doing with this? We are doing a setlist draft for what the band was doing in 2022. You're going to get to pick from any song that they did this year. Unfortunately, that means, you know, no comes and goes, but you'll have your pick of anything that they did at a show this year, including all the cool covers, all the deep cuts and everything you'll get to do a uh, little makeshift sit-down section, break out some rarities. You're going to get about 24, 25 songs. So I'm looking forward to this. It's been a while since we've done this. This is I always love these and seeing how they play out and, and seeing what people do with it. So I'm excited. And uh, this one's going to be a little tournament edition too. So we have it broken up into four groups and a lot of people signed up. So if you're not in this grouping, you'll be in the next grouping. But the winner of each four drafts will go on to a finals and then we'll do a big final thing. Not sure what platform it's going to be on, if it's if it's going to be on Patreon or, or we're going to post it to the the regular platform and, and see what we can do. Cause I, it would be nice for people to listen in because I think that they can really get into something like that. And hopefully after they listen in, then we can, you know, get more people that are interested in playing. I think that's kind of the goal here. And you, the listeners, are going to get to vote. So be on the lookout for that. Be that's true. Okay, take some time, look at, see which one looks the best. And, uh, you know, you're going to be deciding who wins. So be on the lookout for that. These are always so much fun and glad we're doing them again. And the tournament aspect will be a lot of fun. If you do want to sign up, we're a little backlogged with them right now and we're going to get to all the people that signed up. I think we got like 40 plus people that, that joined in on this, 
But anytime that you want to do it, just send us a note and uh, we will put you on a wait list and we'd love to have you along doing it. So now we'll plug everything if you want to join Patreon. The bonus leg tier, the gig leg tier, the horizon leg tier, all available for one and five and ten dollars a month if you want to support the show, if you want to get some bonus content that's coming i believe we are still working on an evolution episode and we're working on an episode from a show from 1992 very soon that will be out and those things are only on that platform so if that's something you you want to hear more of us which who wouldn't if that's something that you're interested in then head on over patreon.com slash live on four legs patreon app search live on four legs or live on four legs.com remember that place yeah you can sign up over there. Just click a button at the top that says become a patron, fill out the info, and you did it. So thank you, everybody, that is continuing to be a patron, that's continuing to support us. It is very important to us and important to our future and what's going to go into what we're going to do later on. So thank you so much and hope to see a lot of new people coming in soon. It's uh, It's an exciting time. So... Now we can get back into the rock. And before getting into the opener here, which is going to be very, very important, Ed tells a a quick story. Last December, I was someplace far, far away, surfing fairly large waves. It was an extremely beautiful place. These waves were powerful enough to kill or maim you. I caught it fast, pitched me over. The whole picture-perfect wave thing happened to me, you know. And I thought to myself, this is pretty good for a Chicago kid. So playing here with your support doesn't feel too bad either. So that's a a nice little throw in for the crowd. And he was sending warmth with him with this. I think that the whole night, just a a dedication to them and a dedication to his, his life celebrated there. And he never forgets where he is. Did you hear what some distinguished uh, crowd member said to him? I don't know if he's distinguished, but I heard him play rock and roll surfer boy yeah play some rock and roll surfer boy yeah one of the classic crowd drop-ins from the show very yeah yeah so arc is going to open this and this is only the second time that we've touched on it the first time was actually in fargo we did that a couple months back and that was i think three shows before this one so I, i don't remember if we talked about it then but it's interesting to think about do you think that there was like a premeditated decision about the places that they would choose the nine performances of Ark? Because you'd have to think that Chicago would be one of the first ones, right? Yeah, I think wasn't San Diego one too, if I'm it not was. mistaken. Yeah. Yep. I have a feeling that some of them were. Like he probably planned out and just to guess, I'd say four or five of them. And then the rest of it was just going by feel, like, hey, feeling it tonight, gonna do it. But, you know, he definitely wanted to do it nine times. I think some of them were, and probably a few of them were left open to just go off a of feel. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Just listening to it and being able to see this one, and we're not going to play it for you because it's out of respect. If they don't want it on the bootleg, then they don't want it on a podcast either. So we have to respect that. And, yeah, it's such a cool visual when you see him doing it. And there's not a great angle on this one. But what I love is when he's done looping all the tracks, he just goes up to the mic and he just lets it all out. And that's the moment right there. That's the moment that everybody just gets up off their feet and they're exploding with them. It's really, really good. The crowd goes wild for it, despite the play rock and roll surfer boy, his objection. 
it's very different. I mean, it's not nearly as long, I think, as the album version, and it takes a while to get going to. That's the other thing is, like, you need kind of a patient crowd because, like, he's kind of hunched over the little looper there and, like, making loop, and then it has to wait to go again, and, like, he's going on, like... It's not a very crowd-interactive thing. It's a very insular, kind of private thing that you're getting access to here. But yeah, like when it opens up like that, then you feel like, oh, like, yeah, this has got some power and some emotional weight behind it. And you kind of hits you in the face like, oh, yeah, this is ARC and this is one of those things. But it's, again, it's very different than what you're used to hearing on Riot Act. It does have a kind of a different feel to it. But I, yeah, I thought it was very cool and great that they, you know, were able to, to hear it on the video. You know, you guys can go check it out if you want to. But it felt a little bit like you're watching something that you're not supposed to have access to. It's a weird kind of break to come out in an encore and like we've gone through like the highs and lows of this main set and now I'm going to do this very singular solo private thing and like yeah it's just and again I'm I'm not coming down on it at all I think it's amazing the way he does it and the way they were able to pull it off live but watching it felt a little strange. That's going to take you into Corduroy and Small Town and I love the encore you know, kicking the doors down song with Corduroy. I say it all the time, get Corduroy every now and again out of the first couple songs. And I did, yes, I I am contradicting myself a little bit because I did say that this year that it was played mid-set. And I guess I'm not referring to mid-set. I'm, I'm referring to a place like this really early in the encore or even closing the encore. Corduroy is a great option to do that and has done it before. But, you know, out of its wheelhouse of the first four, it's always going to work there. But I think what's great about Corduroy in this spot is that, you know, maybe if you're thinking in the encore, like, Ooh, what, what do we get next? What do we get next? And you have the knowledge of where Corduroy usually does happen in the set. You're like, oh, well, yeah, we're, we're done with stuff like Corduroy. You're probably getting Crazy Mary and Better Man and stuff that actually shows up in the encore consistently. But I think when it shows up, that becomes a pretty big surprise surprise moment you know just the crowd i think that there was a palpable excitement for it even more so than maybe it would have been earlier in the set it's cool because arc is ending like you know the loop is finishing and then the band comes out on stage as it's finishing and then they kick right into corduroy which i you know i wasn't aware that that's how it had happened because obviously arc's not on the bootleg i thought that would that was pretty cool it felt like the band really built off of the tension of arc and like the power of it and they were able to kind of channel that into a really good version of corduroy you know small town here too i think that they were sort of testing the waters with the crowd because ed knew what he wanted to do on better man but i feel like the preparation for better man was within small town getting the big hello response and getting the fan reaction towards the end as well like this is another one i think starting in 2006 where it became the campfire sing-along it really developed into that where it's not just the crowd is taking it on like the big moments the crowd is taking it the whole entire time and i think that's a, a major evolution in the song that i don't think really happened much before 2003 yeah, it really took on a more anthemic quality. And like, if this was the test, then they passed it very, very good. But this was the bigger test because, yeah, what you're doing on Better Man, and I don't know, again, 
in 2003, this isn't really Better Man just yet, right? You're not getting the crowd singing along with them right from the beginning. This is this is more, you know, 2006 and onward too. It was the beginning. You were starting to get it a little bit. This is definitely near the start of it. So he starts it, and he usually starts it by saying the waiting line at, at the start just to kind of get him going. And you hear him. <laughs> there's the little part, like he says it, and you just hear the crowd. He's like, yeah. And he walks away from the mic. He lets him have it. And that's how you know that they're going to take it away and they're going to be the show on this. And they most certainly were. This is tremendous. You started. about to being you know some of the later better mans you know the one that's the one that's in pj20 i think from msg i think joey had said that this one's right there with it if not better and yeah this crowd can hear all of them and i I like the acknowledgement after two where he talks about oh you know we can almost feel your pain crowd versions of better man like this always are going to be special and this is one of the best early ones from 2003 yeah, and look, I think it's it's a pure version of Better Man. There's no tag. It's just a fun sing-along, and the crowd definitely propels the band to really dig into it and drive, you know, once it gets into the chorus and everything like that. It's, it's a big feel version, and that's a, a lot of what Joey talked about, too, was that from very early on, the big, massive songs are what hit them the best, and I don't think there's any bigger song that can hit you the right way than Better Man does at this show. That's just what it is here. Ed says, I'll admit we've said it before to other crowds, but that was really, really good sing in Chicago. We could almost feel your pain. It was that good. San Diego, they sang it, but you couldn't feel the pain in San Diego. You could feel the harsh winters. You could feel what's ahead in the summer, sticky seats and fans, and hope you guys have a good summer. I know it's starting pretty late, but it's a good time in Chicago. And I think that might be referring to because the Cubs were pretty good that year because they they went on to the playoffs, and anybody that's a Cubs fan doesn't want to hear much more of that, but I'm sure 2016 took a little bit of the weight off of it. And the next song... Reminds me more of a place like a Rockford or a Rockton or someplace outside of Joliet. We're going to get Crazy Mary and then Evolution is going to finish up the first encore. Cut right to Boom because, oh boy, oh boy. But even even before Boom, when you start to hear Mike's distortion come in at the tail end of before you get into the solo, that's how you kind of know he's kind of tipping his pitch there. 
where now he's putting on distortion pretty early. Let's now see what they got. Let's see how much power this is going to be. And we had a really good angle of boom on this and, you know, give him some props. The man is a great showman when you just watch him. The way that he's bobbing his head around and his hair flowing back and forth and his hands, they just look almost like he's kind of pantomiming. Like, how can he be hitting at those keys with that much of a speed? Like, it almost feels like, is this for real? But yeah, of course it is. And I'm wondering if this kind of thing if it wasn't just the talent that boom had but like some of the showmanship that he had that made ed fall in love with him in hawaii that you know where he discovered him so obviously you take notice to a lot of that and boom just kind of takes the spotlight and make it his and really still he's only less than a year within the band but he at this point it feels like he's really comfortable in his role which is just tremendous to see because we obviously love boom doesn't seem like he's gonna let the moment get to him it's like oh you want to go play in front of 20,000 people in Chicago sure man let's go do it does a little hand sign and go for it like nothing phases him he's just kind of a happy-go-lucky guy yeah boom's good in this but oh my god when Mike comes in he Mike just, won the duel yes he, oh my god he just tears tears it apart yeah I'm listening to this I'm like okay yeah we got a good oh my god Mike's here all right and then we get a, this is another one where I would have liked to have seen the, the grandma reaction cam because Ed kind of turns over, oh, grandma liked that one. You know, that, that, was, that was a nice touch. You know, if it's grandma approved, then something worth mentioning. You can also tell when the band knows who won the duel because Mike went back. He kind of strutted back to his side and he just keeps going at the end. And Boom's like, you got it. That, that's yours, man. That's, yep. that's totally yours. So I don't usually give the props to Mike for the duel just because it's Boom's moment and I want to give Boom his respect for this, but yeah, Mike Mike won this one, but Boom won over the crowd, absolutely. Oh yeah, here's the thing, like, Mike could destroy Boom every single time. He knows that's that's Boom's moment. He's not going to overshadow him every single time, but this one, when you know when they when he get those those competitive juices flowing, he's like, all right, you've had your time. I'm going to show you what I can do right now.
that'll bring you to do the evolution. Another song littered with lyric changes here. It sounds like he, at the beginning, he kind of made maybe like a quick cub reference in a lyric change. I couldn't really tell what it was, but it's impossible to catch each and every one of them. It's impossible because it's just like little things like he's cha- changing like a name or something. But I guess the most prominent one is when he says, and I can't remember what line it's off of, but it was something like about a slab of corporate pigs. And that's going back to some of the line changes that we saw in grievance and green disease too. Mm -hmm. He's a thief. He's a liar. Certainly one of them that, that adds into that, but yeah, 2003, you're, you're going to get that stuff just about every single night. How about this stone solo? I mean, I know it, sound like a broken record but when stone comes in at that that final solo it just is like a breath of fresh air just so fluid so melodic and just fits the song perfectly i love it you know what's great about this one is that when we did i think the boston show a couple weeks ago you had mentioned you didn't think that there was a time where stone was still soloing into the actual song and now we're like two for two on this yeah yeah another great time he's doing it just one of those things that I, I guess when you catch it, you can never get rid of it. So right. hopefully we get to see it a lot more oh, going amazing. forward. Encore 2. Surprisingly enough, this is a two hour and 15 minute show. That's pretty light for this era. And it's pretty light for a big city like Chicago, but they definitely got the most out of it. It's 26 songs. And obviously it's pretty much an instant classic. As, well, as it's, it's a little under the weather, too. You got to keep that in mind. He is, but do you notice, aside from him coughing a little bit off mic? Yeah, I mean, no, he's going to throw it out. But the show after this was canceled. I think they yeah, had some Cincinnati. Yeah, I think he had been sick for a couple of days. And I think he was probably glad. I think after this, though, after going at it for this long, I think he probably needed a break. And I think they came back in Alpine Valley back at full strength. Very strong show in Alpine Valley, absolutely. He's playing with the crowd a little bit. He's like, do you want one? Do you want two? And clearly the crowd wants three. So the crowd is going to get what they want. And I mentioned that this one is a B-side called Down. Every time we covered Down in 2003, the only thing that I can think of is it felt like they were almost promoting it as the single for Lost Dogs because it was a B-side and that record would come out later that year. And it's the most prominent B-side that they played outside of like the Leadbetters that yeah, yeah. were obviously on that record. But this is one that's brand new and they're still putting it out there. And he's even said at shows earlier and later that year, he's like, ah, this is a deep cut. This is a rare one. We never get to do it. It feels funny now because it's been played 98 times now. So it feels like now you're listening like, oh. considering the time and considering, yeah, this along with Other Side and Undone are the B-sides from this record that maybe people don't really know. Down sort of figured itself out later. And since the band really liked it, the crowd caught on to it too. But this is the time where it's still sort of sitting in the unknown area. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like you know, like you mentioned, Lost Dogs is not out yet, so he has to kind of introduce it, like, oh, this is a B-side called Down, because like nobody knows it. But his kind of go-to intro for this at the time was like, oh, uh, you know, I don't know how this didn't make the record, because it's, it's yeah, right. one of the one of the best songs, like in an alternate reality where Down was the first single off a of riot act and a huge radio hit, and it's going to be the big crowd moment here in Encore Two. They're kind of like living out that fantasy a little bit. But yeah, it fits. It's a great song. Great up-tempo thing. Didn't mind it at all. 
he's right to say that they made a mistake leaving yeah. it off the album for sure. Two more songs on the show. Ed's going to introduce Idle Wild to take the stage. Two band members start off, and then two band members are going to follow up, and that's going to lead to an instrument change. A very interesting one in the middle there. And he does mention the Cincinnati show that was canceled, and I believe that was due to flooding, previous flooding that happened. But as you hear him say, we're going to leave it all out there, he coughs a little bit, and then Jeff, you can hear Jeff audible on the mic say, if your lungs can handle it. So, yeah, that was that was a fun moment, kind of laughing at himself a little bit. But Rockin' in the Free World is going to be your big party song. Everybody's going to take the stage. And this was also Idlewild's last night of doing a tour with them because i think i didn't go through every single show but it looked like from the beginning of this leg that i believe started in missoula until this i think they played every single night and then afterwards you'd start getting the buzzcocks and slater kinney kind of moving in and finishing it out with them so i don't really know much of Idlewild. i can't say that i've listened to them a whole lot and i seem to remember there was a show maybe it was phoenix that I had heard on PJ Radio at some point where Ed invited the singer on stage and said he's a little bit nervous. I can't remember what that moment was, but you know, now at this moment, it feels like we're just playing with a bunch of friends. We're just having fun with everybody. You think so? I thought they looked a little nervous still. It was a little weird. It took until the end. And the, the singer kind of, yeah, yeah. he, he kind of went back a little bit, but you the, know, uh, the drummer has to come out and really take over because yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's weird at the beginning. Cause Ed's like, Hey, everybody like kind of help them out. They're going to come out. Like I got a, I got a microphone. We got a guitar. Jeff's going to give up his bass. Like we, it's going to be a whole thing. And like, you know, we're used to seeing that with, Oh, like with the buzzcocks or Sleater Kenny, like they're going to come out and it's going to be super fun. And like, Hey, here comes the party. But I think, you know, out of the wild, I believe they're like more of like a Britpop kind of a band. Yeah. They come out and the two guys are just kind of like, they seem very shy and very like not really going for it. They're just kind of like looking around like it was a little weird, but it takes until, you know, you mentioned the weird instrument switch, like the Idlewild drummer comes on and takes over. Cameron comes on and takes over the bass. Jeff kind of goes and hangs out on the side for a while, gets the bass back eventually. But I think it took until their drummer came out and really started going for it. He was the one that looked the most comfortable that then they kind of like, oh, okay, we, we, we got this a little bit. And then they start to seem like they're having a little more fun. But it looked a little awkward for a while. You're not wrong. And I think that I guess I was thinking that when mentioning because there definitely was a show before yeah. this one where Ed had said it had invited him out for Baba or rocking or mm. whatever. And it was just him. Mm. And he had mentioned that he's a little nervous, like being up here, like the weight of the moment or something like that. Mm. And you yeah, got to think like, you know, compared to Buzzcocks and Sleater Kinney, like Sleater Kinney's is very much an underground, like independent kind of band. And they're, they're taking advantage of their time with them. And, you know, every single night, it seems like they're partnering up on something and they're becoming superstars as the tour is developing. Buzzcocks have been superstars since the 70s, so they have no problem being there. But it seems like Idlewild, maybe they're out of their element a little bit yeah. up here. Yeah. If we sit here and go back and forth to name bands that have opened for Pearl Jam, it'd probably take us a while to get to Idlewild. Yeah, it would be something that I remember, but yeah, not not first that comes to mind. That's, yeah. that's for sure. How about this? You mentioned Matt playing bass, which is which is fun and and so much fun to see. But is Matt the only person in the band that has been on every position that has played bass, that has played guitar, that has sang? 
Mm. And that is drummed. Um, I've never seen Ed play bass. I've never seen Stone drum or or yeah. Jeff uh, drum. Never seen Mike Mike on I anything think, well, else. We, we've seen Jeff help out on drums. Yeah, just like I think in the Dave era, he would just kind of bang on yeah. things a little so bit. So maybe so maybe he counts. Maybe Jeff counts because he's he's done singing and he plays guitar and and but. I don't know that he's ever been solo behind the kit, but he's always. I been, think that's like, got to be secondary. That's be, yeah. yeah, that's got to be the caveat to that. You you have to actually sit there and play a song. Mm-hmm. So Matt might be the only one. We need to we need to get him on the keys to really yes that the, would uh, be to get the full egot if you will. Right, and now like he has to be on the keys and then go over to Josh and do a couple sound effects or something like that. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. actually get the the full aspect of what they're going, but no, that, um, that, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, good, good for Cameron, man. Like, sure, you know, kid's got some talent. Keep him around, kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it. It always seems like whenever Ed goes back and and says something about Cameron, like, oh, he's still new here, even to this day. Right. He's the new kid, right? All right, Ledbetter's going to take you home, and it's a very unique take from Ed on this, even with what you would think. 2003 brings in the Ledbetter, which is basically Ed talking about the war and changing up a lot of lyrics to kind of, you know, fit the current time period. But he's focusing his lyrics here on like being there in the moment and the fans. He has a a moment where he he looks over at a place. He's like, you know, I want to be over there or something like that. So what would you think about these little like haphazard lyric changes? I don't know. I was I was expecting the Iraq War version of Yellow Lead better, and I didn't really understand where he where he was trying to go with this. It felt like he had a story that he was trying to get to, but he didn't really like know how to get from point A to point B with it. Because there's stuff about like a bass player and like something about the bass, not the band. Which is which yeah. is a strange part of I it. I was wondering like, if that was a who thing. If, is that a reference to John Entwistle? I have I, no idea. I, I don't know. It was it was a little weird. I did not understand where he was going with that. I think the big moment here is like before Yellow Ledbetter, there's a huge crowd ovation and like that he just kind of stands back and like lets that kind of adoration wash over for a little bit. It's a really nice moment where he kind of like lets this crowd have you know say goodbye and give them some appreciation one last time i thought that was really cool yeah you said that there was that grandma moment here too were you just able to see her because i i yeah. completely missed that yeah you know as after Ledbetter finishes the camera kind of pans over as the band is leaving and you see a gray-haired woman sitting next to the little board that they have on the side there and i have to think that that was her we'll have to check the videotape and see All right, that's the end of the coverage on that, and that's a great show right there. If you have the time, go turn on PJ Radio. You'll probably hear it in about five minutes or so. Uh, I'm not exaggerating with that. They play it a lot on that station, even if it's just uh, one or two songs that they're playing randomly, but they play it a lot. Now we pick some songs here. Let's rank a little bit. Um I feel like there are three songs that feel like you have to take them. And I'm not necessarily going to take all of them. I'm going to go off the grid a little bit. By doing that, I'm I'm leaving off like a couple of great moments. So I'm going to go number three. I'm going to say Better Man because that was a stellar crowd reaction. And 
you know, give it up to Chicago. You said the New York version, the Madison Square Garden version, which I was in attendance for. That was mind blowing. But yeah, this was this was something real good. I'm going to say number two, I'm going to say present tense. It was a spirited version and it felt intense and it felt like feeling a good momentum with it too. Like it was just a stellar, stellar performance. And you got to think of what I said before, the Chicago tie-ins, my number one and number two are both Chicago. So you got present tense, number two, there's no other option, but the opener releases number one here. I let it speak for itself. Cool. My number three is going to be daughter with the really good with my two hands tag um, see that was impossible to leave off but i i felt like yeah. i had no other choice you yeah. know yeah a lot of good moments my number two is better man and my number one is the off he goes light years combination i thought that was just perfect oh leave and release off huh Honor- very strong honorable mention this is one of those shows where yeah you have a couple of those and yeah. that's gonna get into my rating of this this is a strong show and i guess i didn't realize how strong it was as i mentioned before listening to it on sirius i listened to it in bunches a lot so it was kind of one of those things it's like all right well i don't need to listen to the full bootleg because i basically heard the whole thing but when you listen to it from front to back you're like well that was a performance right there and if the band sees highly in it too like that says a lot because they're not playing shows that they think are crap over their own station. That's for sure. I did all my calculations and, and figured out the statistics on this and figured out what I've done with past shows and what I'm going to do with future shows and how they'll all calculate into what a rating is going to be. And I came up with one and one and only rating and that's a 10. Wow. Okay. Yep. And it's not because I'm making good off of the last couple shows that you gave a 10. <laughs> I, I no, I, I went with my gut. It was the only, it was yeah. the only uh, answer I had for it. It's very good, but I, I'm going to go with a nine and a half. I mean, I pretty much already decided that before we started talking about this, I think this is an excellent, excellent show. And it's one that, that I'll definitely go back to for some songs, but I, I don't think it's in that classic, classic top 50 of all time, but really enjoyed listening to it. You know, definitely thanks to Joey for requesting it and, and coming on to talk about it. I'm at a very strong nine and a half. October and November have seemed to be just pulling the carpet right under some of these shows. Yeah, like they yeah. might be Hall of Famers, they might be Hall of Famers, and then at the last moment, all they needed is that half point. They they didn't get all the votes to get in. It's uh, what what do you need? Like 75, 70% to get in the Hall of Fame for baseball. And if somebody gets like 69 freaking percent on their 10th or 15th year eligible, they're out. Like yeah, that's it's a tough pill to to swallow, but that's where we're sitting. It doesn't make the Hall of Fame. But at the end of the year, you know, we're going to have a Hall of Fame episode like we did last year, but we'll also put it out to the crowd to pick a couple of shows that we had done in the past that didn't get their due as the perfect rating and maybe should have, especially in the way back, way back, way back before John even. Some of those shows didn't get tens when they absolutely deserved it. So we're going to go back and you guys will be able to pick what can be sort of, I guess, the uh, the legacy group in the Hall of Fame for this year. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this. I'm looking. I think we've got eight already so far. And did you check the Patreon one? Because we did Dobbs. Dobbs was one. Yeah, so that makes nine. Nine. 
Do you think we have one more in us for the end of the year? Maybe. Well, Maybe. I, you know what? Next week has a lot of potential. It has a lot of potential. And I've been hearing for years, for years on end, I've been hearing how good Newcastle 2006 mm. was. Why I haven't listened to it? Don't know. Don't have a great answer to you. But that's the beauty of doing this podcast sometimes is that there is a factor of being able to learn on the fly and being able to figure this stuff out and not have the years and years and years of listening as much as some of you guys out there have been. And this show that we're going to do next week, but for a lot of reasons and by a lot of people have been dubbed that instant classic tag, and it's going to be Newcastle, Australia from 2006. What a wonderful set list. What a wonderful show. What's going to open the show there. It's going to be something that we never get to see open shows. So it's going to be really, really special. Can't wait to do it. I think it has a lot of potential, if you know what I mean. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening in. And if you like the show, make sure on your platforms that you subscribe to or that you listen to podcasts on, subscribe to us. Spotify and Apple, those are the big ones, obviously. Just hit the subscribe button and then... If you like it, give us a rating. Five stars, I hope, because five stars means that you enjoyed the whole thing. And on Apple, if you want to leave us a comment, then that's going to help our visibility, and it'll help the new person that is looking for a Pearl Jam podcast, and they can say, hmm, well, uh, Yield Guy 34 liked this show, so okay, I will follow Yield Guy 34 and listen to it too. It's all about the word mouth. Sometimes I can't stop talking, but... You know, maybe people could stop listening to me. They might want to listen to you a little bit more. So if you have something nice to say about us, just leave a little comment on Apple Podcasts and we'll be forever grateful and send you a nice little gift for your trouble. All right, that's this set. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already, miss you always. Newcastle, we don't have a lot more opportunities to give perfect scores too. Not that we're aiming to give a perfect score, but could feel pretty good about this. We'll see you then. Clap for Grandma. See them on the way